Previously, in Series 4. I live in an afterlife that contains nothing but football. But I'm not enjoying the football. I hate Mazzari. I just hate him. Oh, dear, Freddy. Hate's a strong emotion. Are you sure... Mazzari out! Mazzari out! Good man, Freddy. Good man. Best try and keep a lid on it, old son. Sir! Sir! It's an emergency, sir! One of the residents is on the roof of the Sir Elton John stand, sir! I'm frightened! He's going to jump! Hornet Heaven Series 4, Episode 4 One Man Alone Written by Ollie Wickham Read by Colin Mace Earth Season 2016-17 On the left-hand side of the Hornet's shop, Henry Grover and Bill Mainwood set about trying to clamber up the wall adjoining the Sir Elton John stand. They were racing to save the man on the roof. 92-year-old Bill gave 83-year-old Henry a leg up. Henry reached up to the edge of the roof and called out. I can't quite get a finger hold, Bill. It's just like the Premier League used to be. Bill got a better grip under Henry's boot and said, One last effort, Henry. <sighs> On the count of three. Wait, three is Miguel Britos. We need to summon up the strength and spirit of Troy Deeney. Count to nine. Bill counted to nine and heaved Henry higher than before. Henry grabbed the edge of the roof and hauled himself up. Then he reached down and hauled Bill up. They ran south along the roof towards the centre of the Sir Elton John stand. Ahead of them, a figure was crouched on the edge of the roof, looking down over Occupation Road. Henry recognised immediately who it was. It was Freddie Sargent, the former Watford Rovers striker who had died in 1942. <sighs> Freddie! Don't do it, old son! Freddie Sargent turned. He saw Bill and Henry rushing towards him. Leave me alone! You won't stop me! Walter Mazzari has driven me to this! Bill and Henry came to a halt a few yards away from Freddy. They didn't dare go closer. Bill said cautiously, Come on, Freddy, let's talk this over. There's nothing to discuss. Mazzari's not going to change his ways. But honestly, Freddy, that's no reason to throw yourself off the roof. Freddy peered over the edge. If I did go over, I'd be in free fall, just like Watford for the last few weeks. Please, Freddy, step back. You're terrifying young Derek down there. Nothing's more terrifying than the prospect of Mazzari staying. Freddy leant even further forward over the edge of the roof. No, don't do it. You'll kill yourself. I wonder if there's an after-afterlife. If there is, and Mazzari's still manager, and I killed myself again, would there be an after-after-afterlife? Freddy transferred his weight back onto the roof. He had something in his hands now. He held it out towards Henry and Bill. Don't be stupid. I'm not jumping. I'm hanging up this banner so everyone on Occupation Row can see it. Freddy was holding a yellow banner daubed with huge black letters. It said, Mazzari, out. Oh, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Bill and Henry felt a wave of relief pass through them. They sank down onto the roof and sat quietly 
until they'd recovered. Up on the roof, a few minutes later, Bill had recovered. He said, Well, I have to say, Freddy, I find that banner of yours completely inappropriate. Wouldn't you agree, Henry? Absolutely. That black lettering would definitely need to be read. For a minute or so, Bill and Henry had their usual squabble about red versus black. Then Bill said, Anyway, what I meant is, I think it's unreasonable for fans to put all the blame on the head coach. The team's troubles are a complex situation arising from multiple causes. Freddie wasn't in a mood to debate. He'd been passionate about Watford Football Club for more than 100 years, and it was passion that was driving his feelings about Walter Mazzari. Our problems are down to one man alone. I hate him. I just want him gone. But the fortunes of football clubs never depend on a single man. Right now, there are all kinds of things combining to make fans angry. There's the problem of being a mid-table Premier League club. There are expectation levels that are too high. Isn't that right, Henry? Henry wasn't really concentrating on what Bill was saying. He'd heard something about a single man, which had reminded him he was a single man himself in Hornet Heaven, which had got him thinking romantic thoughts about Gladys Prothero again. What? Oh, I, uh, To be honest, Bill, I'm finding what you're saying rather befuddling. What do you think, Freddy? Freddy lifted up the banner. Henry read it again. Ah, yes, there. Much better. You see, I understand that, Bill. Two words, Mazari out. It's so much simpler. Right, I've decided. I'm with Freddy. But it's not a simple issue, Henry. As I say, the fortunes of football clubs don't revolve around one man. Nope, I'm sorry, Bill, but I've made up my mind. Henry got up. He went over to Freddy and took hold of one end of the banner. But this is completely unjust. The head coach has done his job. He's kept us in the Premier League. Henry started to help Freddy hang the banner from the edge of the roof. The thing is, Bill... I don't want to spend the whole of eternity having to rescue people like Kelly, Mike Keane and even ourselves from spiritual crisis. Sacking the head coach is an easy solution. But an easy solution is rarely the right solution. When Henry said nothing, Bill realised he'd lost the argument up here on the roof. He watched as Freddy and Henry leaned down over the edge of the roof and unfurled a banner that pinned all of the fans' current upset on a man who'd led Watford to their seventh best league finish in history. Bill galvanised himself. He felt strongly about the matter. He may have lost an ally in Henry, but he had plenty more potential allies in Hornet Heaven. He got up and headed back along the roof towards the atrium to recruit someone else who could help him win the argument. Before he did anything else, Bill popped into the programme office to reassure Derek that Freddie wasn't planning to leap off the roof after all. Thank goodness, sir. My efforts paid off then, sir. Really? What efforts were those, young man? I summoned up the spirit of a player to help the situation, sir. Aha. Uh -huh. Was it Troy Deeney by any chance? No, sir. It was Simon Shepherd. He played in goal for us between 1992 and 1994. That's a strange choice, my boy. How would that have helped? 
Simon Shepherd was no good at jumping, sir, which is never much use for a goalkeeper, but very handy for people on a roof. Bill frowned. Sometimes, he felt, the boy got some strange notions into his head. Bill moved the conversation on. We've still got a problem with Freddy, though. He's very worked up. He can't see past blaming everything on one person, which is terribly unjust. So I'm just off to ask a few people for ideas on how to change that. I'll see you later. Bill started to leave the office. Wait a moment, sir. If you want to calm Freddy down, I've got a great idea. Bill suspected this might be another of Derek's strange notions. He carried on walking. No thanks, young man. All I need is a way to stop Freddy thinking Walter Mazzari is the cause of all our woes. But my idea would put your hat to another use, sir. No, Derek, I don't need... But you wouldn't want a hut with your name on it sitting idle, sir, would you, sir? That would give a terrible impression, sir. Bill stopped in the doorway. Well, when you put it like that, young man. OK. But don't do anything I wouldn't do. Then Bill went off to find someone who could help him nip Freddy Sargent's Mazari Out campaign in the bud. By the programme shelves in the atrium, Bill found Neil McBain. After McBain's recent success in helping Mike Keane come to terms with Watford's awful football, Bill reckoned Watford's former manager from the 1930s and 1950s was just the man he needed. He said, I'm after your help, McBain. Freddie Sargent is campaigning for Walter Mazzari to be sacked and I want to persuade him that it's unfair to blame the gaffer. Ugh, that's always unfair to blame the gaffer. Good. I'm glad you think that. You and I will make a great team on this. People are always prejudiced against the boss. I mean, everybody thinks I was a failure as Watford's manager. Twice. Watch it, Meanwood. Don't rub it in. Sorry. Like I say, everybody thinks I was a failure as Watford's manager. But all the problems were due to aspects beyond my control. I agree. But do you reckon you could prove what you're saying to Freddy Sargent? Of course. All I'd have to do is take him back to the 1957-58 season. When we were relegated? Aye. Relegation's what I get blamed for. But we finished ninth from bottom in Division 3 South that season. We only went down because the Football League were reorganising the divisions. All the teams in the lower half were relegated into a new fourth division, totally beyond my control. Those are definitely mitigating circumstances. Were there others, too? Of course. Too many to list. Come with me. I'll show you. McBain went to the shelf and took down two copies of Watford versus Brighton and Hove Albion on Saturday, April the 26th, 1958. The penultimate game of the season. He led Bill to the ancient turnstile. At the Brighton match, Bill gazed around the stadium. The place looked tired and stale. The black awning over the players' tunnel was filthy. The duckboard over the dog track was falling apart. And the rookery was just a shallow, featureless end without a stand. At first sight, Bill felt that a trip back to this season wouldn't be a relevant environment for making a point to Freddie Sargent about life as a Watford fan in 2016-17. The look of the place in 1958 didn't suggest that Watford had aspirations that the manager might be failing to fulfil. On the other hand, there were some possible parallels, Bill thought. In 1958, Watford had been in the same division for 38 years, ever since they joined the Football League. They'd had no promotions, no relegations. 
In this respect, it was the same kind of existence that Watford fans in 2016-17 now aspired to in the Premier League, with no promotions and, hopefully, no relegations. Bill wondered if coming back to 1958 and seeing the staleness might make people think again about whether they really wanted to live with no ups or downs. McBain interrupted Bill's thoughts. The Scotsman said, Last March sealed our feet. We lost 1-0 and became founder members of Division 4. And it definitely wasn't all your fault. No way! For starters, some of the players threw this match. They took money so Brighton would win and be promoted. The News of the World investigated and named our captain Johnny Meadows. He admitted it. Bill and McBain watched as Johnny Meadows, cool as you like, led the Watford players in their blue shirts with white V-necks out of the tunnel to take the field. There's the culprit. But I was the one accused of taking Watford down. To be fair, match-fixing was only a factor in this particular match. Was there anything else during the season that clearly wasn't your fault? Oh, aye, definitely. The club sold my best player. Morris Cook. He's in Hornet Heaven. He'll tell you it wasn't my fault. The board couldn't resist filling their boots with a record transfer fee. £15,000. Morris was a forward who could score 31 goals a season and I wasn't given a replacement. Well, there we are. Perfect. No one could single you out as to blame. I'll bring Freddy Sargent here and he'll understand that you can never just blame the boss. McBain smiled. He was glad to help. More than this, though, he felt vindicated. But then he said, Oh, no. What? What's the matter? McBain pointed in the opposite direction from where he'd been looking. Uh, look, quick, over there! Bill looked, but didn't see anything worth seeing. He turned back. Now he saw what McBain hadn't wanted him to see. It was the 1958 version of McBain coming out of the tunnel. The manager was slipping a hip flask back into his pocket and stumbling slightly on the dog track. McBain! And I thought it was bad that Walter Mazzari smokes. I was only having a wee nip. It took a lot more than that to render me incapable of doing my job, I can tell you. Bill didn't want to hear how much it had taken. He watched the real world McBain get his trouser legs snagged on the wire fencing by the touchline. The gaffer hopped unsteadily as he tried to free himself. Look at you. Drunk in charge. You've given Freddy Sargent all the ammunition he'll need to destroy my argument. Bill turned on his heel. Going back to 1958 had proved pointless. He was furious. He marched back to the ancient turnstile, muttering, That was a complete waste of time, and 100% down to McBain. Bill came out of the ancient turnstile onto Occupation Road. It was still overcast. A large crowd had gathered below the banner that Freddy and Henry had hung from the roof of the stand. Everyone was chanting, Mazzari out! Mazzari out! Bill recognised Frank Gammon, a Watford fan who'd been a new arrival two years earlier. Frank was yelling furiously, as if the anger management issues he'd always had in the land of the living had resurfaced. Bill speculated that if Frank had brought one of his cats into Hornet Heaven, the old man would probably be about to punt it into the gardens behind the garages. Bill glanced up at the roof and saw Freddy and Henry. They were conducting the chanting of the massed ranks below. Bill was left in no doubt that he was losing the argument. As comprehensively as Watford were likely to lose against Manchester City in their final game of the season in a few days' time, he badly needed a new idea to turn the situation around. 
Sir! Sir! Bill turned and saw Derek. I've got your hat ready, sir. It's going to be a great way of calming Freddy Sergeant down, sir. Shall I show you, sir? Shall I, sir? Bill wasn't terribly optimistic, but he let the boy lead him to the Bill Mainwood program hut. First, Henry had built it as a confessional. Then, it had been an IMAX cinema. Then, an emergency clinic. Now, Derek said, Welcome to the Bill Mainwood Luxury Spa, sir. It's a place where anyone can lie back and have all their stresses disappear, sir. Perfect for Freddy Sargent and the rest of the mob too, sir. A spa? A flotation tank, specifically, sir, with litres and litres of relaxing warm water containing magnesium-rich Epsom salt, sir. But how on earth did you get the plumbing done? There's a Watford fan up here called Pete Birkwood, sir. Died in 2015, sir. He was a plumbing and heating engineer. A lovely man, sir. Even though he had a few reservations about my design, sir, he agreed to help me for the good of the club, sir. Bill stared at the Bill Mainwood Luxury Spa. From the outside, the red porter cabin looked the same as it always had. Not very luxury. Bill went to the door. Well, I'm curious, young man. I'd like to see what you've done inside. Wait a moment, sir. One of the things Pete wasn't sure about was... Don't spoil things by explaining, my boy. Much better if I go in and just use my eyes to appreciate the wonder of my refurbished hut. No, sir! Don't! Stop, sir! Bill opened the door. Hundreds of litres of relaxing warm water containing magnesium-rich Epsom salts poured out over him. A few seconds later, Bill stood on Occupation Road, drenched from head to toe with his glasses skew-whiff. He said, Judging from my stress levels right now, young man, I'm not convinced those Epsom salts actually work. Bill walked up Occupation Road, sopping wet. Derek followed him at a sheepish distance in the unusually grey light. Derek said, There are some positives, sir. If you'd been wanting to witness a torrent of water, sir, it saved you a trip back to the abandoned home game against Wigan in the Boothroyd Premier League season. Bill squelched up the slope past the chanting mob. Suddenly, he heard Henry's voice from up on the roof. Henry was laughing. Look at Bill! <laughs> Look at the absolute state of him! The mob turned and looked at Bill. The entire crowd started pointing and laughing. Bill kept walking. He seethed. Through no fault of his own, he'd become a whipping boy for Watford fans. It was as if he was walking a mile in Walter Mazzari's shoes though Walter's loafers would have felt a lot drier. He was beginning to despair. He needed to make fans realise how blinkered they were whenever they singled out a fall guy for their frustration and disappointment. But he couldn't think how to do it. Then, suddenly, just before he got to the atrium, he knew exactly how he'd do it. The next day, when he dried out, Bill went to see Roy in the IT department of Hornet Heaven. He said, I want to show Freddy Sargent and the mob that it's unfair to single out one person as the cause of all their troubles. The fortunes of football clubs are never down to one man. Are you sure about that, Bill? What about it's definitely unfair? I mean, the one-man bit. Don't forget, please, Roy, just listen. This is urgent. I want to know if what I've got in mind is possible. Roy listened as Bill outlined his new idea. 
I'd like to take everyone on a magical history tour. But there are far too many people, so I was wondering if you could download the main bits from the tour I've got in mind, edit them into highlights or lowlights in this case, and show them on one of the big video screens in the stadium. Easy enough. What's the theme of the tour going to be? I want people to see that it's unreasonable to scapegoat Walter Missouri. So the tour will be Scapegoats Through the Ages. Nice. The Boo Boys will love that. Exactly, but only at first. Then when they see just how many players have been made victims over the years, they'll feel terrible and realise the error of their ways. Bill handed Roy a list of Watford scapegoats through the ages. Then he headed off to spread the word about a special mystery screening that no one should miss. On the Sunday morning, on the day of Watford's match with Manchester City, Bill opened up the players' entrance to the stadium. The mob started to file through. They went down the steps past the dressing rooms, through the tunnel and out onto the pristine pitch. Bill followed. On the touchline, Les Simmons, who was Watford's head groundsman for more than 30 years until the late 1990s, ran up to Bill. Get these people off my pitch! They'll kick lumps out of it! Get them off! Bill remembered from his time working at the club how protective of the playing surface Les Simmons had always been. He reassured Les that no one in Hornet heaven could harm the real-world pitch. But Les still wasn't happy. The lean, weathered old man walked away, chuntering. Before long, there were hundreds and hundreds of fans in the northwest corner of the pitch, in front of the empty stands, looking up at the giant video screen. Behind them, up on the roof of the Sir Elton John stand, Freddie Sargent and Henry Grover had turned around and were sitting down to watch, with their legs dangling over the edge towards the pitch. Bill stood in the middle of the crowd. Next to him was Frank Gammon. Frank was already in a terrible temper. At times like this, he made Jose Cholabas seem cherubic. Bill looked forward to seeing the enlightening effect that the video would have on Frank. Soon, through a concealed microphone, Bill gave Roy in IT the signal to start the video, and the screen began to fill with historic Watford footage. The show started with the Dave Bassett era, the crowd groaned. When Watford's right-back casually let a Luton player go past him, Frank Gammon shouted, Gary bloody shivers. I couldn't stand him. Boo! Other fans around Frank started booing too. In the same match, a Watford forward mistimed a header, sending it straight up in the air. Frank yelled, Rubbish, senior! Get off! There was more booing. Louder this time. Bill smiled. He reckoned his choice of scapegoats was proving perfect. Soon there was footage from 1994. A Watford forward shot tamely wide. Frank shouted, Jamie Morley was total crap. He couldn't have hit Mickey Quinn's ass with a banjo. Behind Bill, a group of fans giggled and booed. Soon the screen showed an away match at West Brom in April 2008. A forward was waiting to come on as a late substitute for Joby McEnough. Steve Kebber? What a waste of space! Moments later on screen, another forward appeared alongside Kebber, wanting to come on for John Joe O'Toole. Steve Kebber and Nathan Ellington? That has to be the worst double substitution in club history, for crying out loud! Boo! 
Suddenly, Bill noticed that the crowd around him seemed to be enjoying booing. As if the theme was pantomime villains through the ages, not scapegoats. Bill started to lose confidence in his plan. People were now in high spirits. There was definitely no sign that anyone was feeling bad about victimising Watford's staff. As the video showed footage from more recent seasons, Frank Gammon got more and more vociferous. The sight of Matthew Briggs made Frank blaspheme. The sight of Josh McEachran made Frank swear. The sight of Samba Diakite made Frank make up new terrible swear words by combining existing terrible swear words. Other fans joined in with even more offensive abuse. Bill didn't like what he was hearing. He'd wanted his fellow fans to realise that scapegoating was wrong, but the video was whipping them into a frenzy. It was encouraging them to victimise Watford staff. His plan had completely backfired. Now the screen showed Alan Neom playing for Watford at the end of the previous season. The crowd spat insults at him. Then, when Neom appeared in a West Brom shirt at the Hawthorns in December 2016, celebrating the Baggies' victory in front of the Watford away fans, everyone around Bill exploded with anger. They called Alan Neom the worst word Bill had ever heard in his life or afterlife. Bill didn't want things to get any worse. He shouted to Roy through his microphone, Stop! Stop the video! Immediately, the giant screen flickered and went black. After a few seconds, Frank shouted, Boo! You can't stop it there! I want to see Missouri up there! I hate him more than any of that lot! A moment later, a chant started up. Missouri out! Missouri out! For the first time, Bill felt frightened. There was a new fervour to the chant, a new venom. Bill didn't know what to do. His plan had resulted in the opposite of what he'd intended. The mob hadn't realised the error of its ways. Instead, it had become incensed. It looked as if things were about to get out of hand. He watched Frank Gammon assemble a group of fans to form an angry mob. Frank didn't have any flaming torches, but he did go over to Les Simmons, the former head groundsman, and ask, Les, mate, where'd you keep the pitchforks? Bill panicked and ran. Bill sat in his office. He felt alone. One man alone. When the rest of the Watford family were thinking and feeling something completely different. He also feared what the angry mob might be doing. His scapegoat video had stirred up a proper hornet's nest. Suddenly he heard footsteps running towards the office. Sir! Sir! Bill looked up. Derek appeared in the doorway. The boy had a look of horror on his soft, young face. Something terrible's happened, sir. Really terrible. Bill was fully aware, with hindsight, that his idea to show the video had been terrible. But judging from the look on the teenager's face, whatever had happened now was definitely worse. For a few moments, Bill couldn't imagine what that would be. Then Derek said, You need to come and see your hut, sir. Occupation Road seemed more clouded over than ever. Bill stood and stared at his hut. Derek said, The people who have done this are combustible mutants, sir. This is... This is... Desecration, sir! Bill couldn't believe what he was seeing. 
There was anti-water graffiti all over the red walls of his porter cabin. Foul language. Obscene drawings. Look at this, sir. It says, Walter Mazzari is a steaming pile of... Don't say it. And look at this drawing, sir. Walter's head doesn't look like his head at all. It looks more like someone's... No, oh, oh, oh. Bill burst into helpless sobs. For years, the Bill Mainwood programme hut had stood on Occupation Road as one of the true icons of Watford Football Club. In the last few days, thanks to Henry, and despite Derek's recent silly idea, it had retaken pride of place and helped residents of Hornet Heaven come to terms with a difficult season. Now it stood daubed with obscenities. It had become a monument to hatred. Bill lost control of his shoulders. They began to heave with grief. Derek stepped forward in front of Bill. The teenager looked up at the old man. At first he wasn't sure what to do. Then he stood on tiptoe and wrapped his arms around Bill. Derek held on tightly as waves of anguish caused Bill's chest to convulse and shudder. The boy tried his hardest to stay strong. He tried not to cry. But this wasn't just any distraught man. This was his boss, his standing uncle, the man he loved and respected most, the man in Hornet Heaven who always did the right thing. It was all too much. A Hornet Heaven with a vandalised Bill Mainwood programme hut was not the Watford Derek knew and loved. He broke down and sobbed. For several minutes, Derek and Bill clung to each other, crying inconsolably. From further up the slope, they heard the sound of fans chanting for the sacking of the head coach, using the same foul language they'd used to deface the hut. As each minute passed, the light of hornet heaven seemed a little dimmer still. But then, the chanting stopped. Bill and Derek released each other and turned to look up the slope. They saw a man walking towards them through the grey light. The fans who'd been chanting stepped out of his way. Some of them hung their heads. The man had said just three words to them. Watch your language. It wasn't just a man walking down Occupation Road. It was the great man. As always in Hornet Heaven, the great man was wearing a 1979 black Umbro tracksuit top with wide yellow and red panels down the front. Bill watched him arrive at the hut and inspect the graffiti. Then Bill felt the great man's arm around his shoulder and found himself being led gently up the slope. They passed the silent crowd and crossed the sunless tarmac to a gate beside an old brick garage with mint green paint clinging to the wooden doors. The great man held the gate open for Bill and gestured him through. Bill stepped cautiously through the gate. Suddenly, he wasn't anywhere near Occupation Road. He was in a park. The great man led him across an expanse of grass. Ahead of them, surrounded by newly planted trees, was a brown wooden bench. The great man 
invited him to sit down. Bill sat down. He noticed a plaque on the back of the bench. It said, In loving memory of friend Graham Taylor, much love, Elton. The great man sat down and started talking to Bill with gentle words of sympathy, encouragement and advice. Bill listened. Bill loved the sound of the great man's voice. Maybe not as much as the great man had seemed to love it himself sometimes down on earth, but he definitely loved it. The mere sound of it always had a powerful effect on him. Its accent, tone and rhythms, instantly recognisable, somehow made him feel part of a community of people who believed in the same thing. The voice belonged to the great man, obviously, but also, in a way, it belonged to every single Watford fan. As they sat on the bench, Bill found he wasn't concentrating on the great man's words. Instead, he felt awestruck. Here he was, in the presence of the man who had transformed Watford Football Club. The man who built a focal point for a town. The man who had established values to play by and live by for players and fans alike. Bill couldn't help marvelling at the way this one man had touched so many lives. Suddenly Bill stopped marvelling. He replayed the thought he'd just had. One man. One man had touched so many lives. Bill covered his mouth with his hand. He'd been wrong. He'd been going around saying that the fortunes of a football club were never influenced by a single man. But next to him, on the bench, was proof that all the factors that caused football teams to disappoint could be overcome by one man. If that man was great enough. Bill looked at the great man and fully recognised what the right man in charge could do for a football club. He got up and thanked the great man for everything in the past and for helping him see things more clearly today. He now knew that Walter Mazzari wasn't the right man in charge. The club should look for a leader who could lead and inspire the way the great man had done. Twice. Bill Mainwood left the bench with a new conviction. He wanted Walter Mazzari out. Bill arrived back into the dull light of Occupation Road through the gate. The crowd below Freddy's banner had started chanting again, but this time without the obscenities. Bill joined the crowd. Now that he was standing with them, he thought they didn't look like combustible mutants or whatever Derek had called them. They looked like ordinary Watford fans who wanted better for their club, better than Walter Mazzari seemed capable of delivering. Bill joined in with the chanting, not too loudly at first, but gradually increasing in volume as he realised how good it could feel. As he started to bellow, he properly understood why his scapegoat video idea had backfired. Ridding himself of all his pent-up angst felt fantastic. He wished he'd done it sooner. He looked up to the roof. Freddy Sargent and Henry Grover were there leading the chant. He jumped up and down and shouted, Mazzari out! at them as loud as he could. Through the dim light, Freddy and Henry spotted him and shook their fists in delight. Bill felt elated to be part of the group. It had taken him a long time to accept what the rest of the Watford family were feeling. But he'd found a way 
in the end. Soon, though, Bill felt a tug at his jacket. He looked down. He saw Derek. Sir! Sir! Bill stopped chanting and said, Sorry, young man, but I'm afraid I don't care if there's another crisis. I'm with everyone else now. I just want the burden of Walter Mazzari lifted. No problem, sir. But I thought you ought to know that the Manchester City programme is in, sir. Well, I can assure you I won't be rushing off to watch that. If Mazzari's still in charge, we'll get horribly thrashed. Derek handed Bill the programme. But you need to look at page nine, sir. The head coach's programme note, sir. Oh, really? Why? Bill flicked through the programme to page nine. Around him, the crowd was still chanting, Mazzari out! Mazzari out! A few moments later, Bill shouted at the top of his voice, Yes! Mazzari is out! The crowd around him heard what he'd shouted. They stopped chanting. He waved the programme above his head and shouted again, Missouri is out! The crowd roared so loud it sounded like an aircraft taking off. Months of frustration and anger poured out of everyone. Bill lifted his face to the sky in relief. It was only a piece of news about a member of staff, but it felt as good as the Great Escape had felt in 1991. All the misery and the pessimism was instantly over. A few seconds later, as he stared upwards, Bill noticed something happening in the sky, high above Occupation Road. Overhead, the grey clouds were parting. The light was becoming brighter. Within moments, the sun had broken through and was shining on Hornet Heaven again. Well, what do you think, Bill? Do you like it? Bill stood in the Bill Mainwood programme hut and looked around. Henry had had the graffiti on the outside removed. He'd also had the inside of the hut refurbished. On the walls were old matchday posters. In one of the corners there was a yellow, black and red dartboard. In another corner there was a small bar with Watford beer towels and beer mats. And in the middle of the floor there were two deck chairs with yellow and black, not yellow and red, stripes. Bill grinned. He said, The perfect place to chillax after a trying season, Henry. Exactly, Bill. I think we should call it the Bill Mainwood Man cave. The two men lowered themselves into the deck chairs. They stretched out their legs and put their hands behind their heads. They sat and reflected on everything they'd been through recently with Freddie Sargent, Neil McBain, Mike Keane and Kelly. After a while, Henry said, I tell you, Bill, I'm so glad 2016-17 is over. I agree. We've been spanked 5-0 at home on the final day and avoided relegation by one league place, but now the slate has been wiped clean. Absolutely. It'll be a fresh start, with a new manager to be appointed and lots of expensive new players coming in. I quite like the look of that Marco Silva, who was in charge of Hull when we played them. So did I. It would be splendid if the Mazari cloud turned out to have a silver lining. Bill leaned forward in his deck chair. Now you're talking. We've got the owners, the stadium and the resources. Marco Silva could be the one man we need 
to make everything come together. The one man? Are you sure? Earlier you were saying, I'm saying different now. One man could make the difference. Henry smiled at his old friend. I say, Bill, isn't it great to be feeling ambitious again? When you think about it, we're already joint top of the table. We're level with Manchester City, Chelsea and all the other big teams on zero points for next season. Bill beamed at the thought. He developed a taste for chanting recently. So he shouted out, We are top of the league. I said, We are top of the league. Henry grinned and joined the chant. We are top of the league. I said, We are top of the league. They were ready for 2017. 18. End of series four. The next story from Hornet Heaven will be series five, episode one. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wicken. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wicken. <laughs> <laughs>